I'm just going to speak for a minute. I'm actually having trouble here. I was sort of having fun with folks saying at least I'll be able to hear the preacher today. But it's funny, I've got a wee bit of an echo, but I'll just ignore it. Um, to start with, I want to say something about uh, church connection. Because um, I met God when I was a hippie. But I was a committed hippie. <laughs> I seriously, I gave up my job to be a full-time hippie. I was a trainee civil engineer. And I met people who attracted me by their way of life. And I, I mean, I was convinced. I can remember one time I had a quarter of an ounce of cannabis resin wrapped in silver paper. And I took it out of my de denim jacket pocket and I showed it to my mother because she was complaining about me leaving my job and things. I said, see that, mum? One day everybody in the world will smoke that and we'll all live in peace and love. And I was convinced that that's what I was getting involved in. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, once a year when I was teaching in Banff Academy, which I did for 14 years, um, <clears throat> I, I used to tell my story about how I got saved. It took a whole period uh, to fourth-year pupils. And... I had to prepare it because it was just once a year. And when I was preparing it, I was looking at my notes. And the notes said, I got saved under a tree in the middle of an S LSD trip in Stenhouse Muir. <laughs> but you, I could tell you more about that, but I'm not going to. So this time I'm preparing, and as clear as anything, God said to me, no, you did not. You got saved when you declared towards not just me, but my church. And that's something I've never forgotten. God spoke to me directly about commitment to church. Um, The word, um, let me just explain this word, this expression, declared towards. Uh, I was once looking up the meaning of addiction. And addiction, the word addiction is a Latin prefix and a verb. The prefix is ad, and it means towards. The verb is decere, which means to speak out. And so addiction means to declare towards something. And just as I explained to you at the beginning that I was a committed hippie, I, de I had declared my life towards that. And so when God was speaking to me about church, he was saying, you need to declare towards my church. And as I said, I've never forgotten that. It's what God underlined to me. I've seen people who got saved, knew the Lord, but didn't commit to church. And I've seen them falling off the end many times. So um, there's a 
guy that I've re read a few of his things, Jim Richards, his name is, he's an American. And he's got this little book that's only, you can only get it on, as an e-book. It's called My Church, My Family. And even the title had attracted me. But there's a bit in it where he says, one of the chapters, he says, Very early in my walk with God, I realized the value of Christian fellowship. I saw that I could not make it if I didn't establish strong ties with the church. Most of the people who got saved at the same time as me, and he's, he was involved in the, hip, the Jesus movement, and it's, it was in America, uh, San Francisco, I think. It, it went along with a drug movement. But a lot of folk got saved. There was a, it was like a mini revival among uh, drug takers who really got saved. And uh, he goes on to say, most of the people I knew who were saved didn't establish strong ties with the church. Most of them are no longer walking with God. In fact, they're only per the two people, me and a friend, started going to church. We had problems. We got abused. But we stuck with it. They are the only two who survived out of the, the mob that he had seen saved. So, um, Christian engagement with church is a priority with God. And it should be a priority with us. Let me read a few verses of uh, Ephesians uh, right through. I think it's nine times in the book of Ephesians church is mentioned. God placed all things, this is verse one, chapter one. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Chapter 3, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I think that's amazing. Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all, um, throughout all generations. Then in chapter 5, Husbands, love your wife, wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water and through the word and to, pre to present her to himself as a radiant church without, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. So God's got a purpose for the church. And, you know, I just want to do this. I want you to stand up. And I want you to do a twiddle. But while you're doing it, I want you to look at the folk around you. Just look at them. And think to yourself, these are the people 
with whom I'm doing church. These are the people whom Jesus is using to build this church so that the gates of hell can't prevail. We're part of that. Recently in um, our, our small group at the end, we were praying and I got this, I was overcome. I, mean, I, I call it a prophetic word, but when I talk about a prophetic word, it means I'm hearing something or even saying something that doesn't come from me. And I know it's not from me. And God said, don't look anywhere else. Start building church with the people around you. And people tend to want perfection, but you, you can only build with what you've got. And the theme, the, well, the theme of all the rest that I'm going to say today um, is weakness is where God perfects strength. So you can sit down. <coughs> Did I miss a bit? Maybe. Okay. So I've got four points. Weakness is the only path to God's strength. There are other paths to other strengths. You can go to the gym and get uh, strengthen your fitness. You could even do weights and be strong, have a strong upper body. You can uh, walk. You can swim. Uh, you can even go on a diet. and lose 18 pounds. Um, so, the, but the only way to find strength in God is through our weakness. And I'm going to prove it to you. Well, the Bible's going to prove it to you. Because in the New Testament, weakness is a constant theme in every book. And I'm going to read some of these scriptures today. This is one of my favourite ones. Um, I don't have you have you heard of kintsukuroi? It's a Japanese art form where they take broken corkery porcelain and they they glue it together with gold glue that's got real gold in it. And some of the things that come out are pretty pretty beautiful. So I'm going to talk about well the Bible talks about treasure in jars of clay. This is from 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach Christ, uh, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, said, who, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now that's amazing. That's, we're given that. But here's the but. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all the all-surpassing glory, power, sorry, is from God and not from us. <clears throat> uh, 
we, I mean, we talk about jars of clay. We, um, we have lots of different vessels in our home, uh, dishes for different things, pots and pans for different purposes, plates, uh, vases, ornaments, flowers and vases, and plants, all that stuff. So all these wine glasses, sorry, teacups, dessert bowls, casseroles, dishes, and we tend in our homes mostly to use the appropriate vessel for the, the appropriate purpose. Yes? Some folk drink out of the bottle. <laughs> but we shouldn't do that. But this is not true in the kingdom of God because, as we've just read, we have the treasure in jars of clay. This can cause a difficulty because um, we sometimes get focused on the vessel and forget what's in it. In fact, I get do that all the time. I'm so focused on me, so self-absorbed, that I forget who I am in God. Um, I mean, I, I can remember one time, I used to always get nervous on a Sunday morning, and I was sitting, I was saying, God, is this all right, what I've prepared? And again, as clear as a bell, not a voice, louder than a voice, God said, I like what you're saying about me. And I, I, so I kept going. <laughs> so um, where am I? I've lost my notes now. It can also lead to the light not shining in us if we're so vessel uh, directed, so vessel focused and not what's in it that other people also won't see the glory of God and that's important because a Christian, a definition of a Christian should be a jar of clay with treasure in it but the treasure should be more visible I think certainly in my life even the Pharisees noticed the treasure in the disciples. I don't know if you remember in Acts chapter 4, not on the day of Pentecost, it was a few days later, they were arrested. Peter and John were arrested for preaching. And uh, they were taken before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, and Peter delivered this bold speech which belies his previous character but he preaches this bold speech and he declares to the Sanhedrin salvation is found in no one else but Jesus of course so there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved that was quite a bold actually was a it could have caused him big trouble when the, the Jewish leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wouldn't that be great if somebody said that about you? You know very much, but I can tell you've been with Jesus. 
That's what a testimony is, isn't it? Sorry, I keep getting lost in my notes. I, when I was a, a pastor um, for a few years, weakness was my favorite theme, and I discovered it pretty early in my Christian life. And it gripped me, not only because I was inspired by what the Bible said about it, but also because I quickly realized that I couldn't do it myself. I failed quite often. We all need God to take hold of us. Well, he has done that, but we also need to take hold of God. Let me read, I think I'll need my glasses to read this bit. This is from my old Bible. There's a few pages in Isaiah 53 that got soaked at a funeral. And it always reminds me it was a stillborn baby. And it was lashing the rain and brackish in the sky. And my Bible got soaked. And every time I see it, I think about that funeral. Anyway, this is from uh, Philippians. Paul's talking. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Not that I have already, this is chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on to the goal. Now, this word, I was looking at it before the meeting um, because I opened the Bible and I discovered these notes <laughs> written years ago in a fountain pen, I think. The word to take hold of is the Greek word katalambano. And it's used in other circumstances. It's a very strong word. It's used when to, 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 it can be translated as to trap somebody. It's used in the capture, the arrest, the apprehension of the, of the disciples when they were arrested by at that time, it can be used to mean capture. It can even be used in the a demon seizing somebody. It's that same word, catalambano. So God wants us to be bold like Peter, who came from weakness, who was in weakness, and bold enough to take hold of what God said about us and what he's offered us through Jesus. Where am I? Oh yeah, I'm up here. Okay, that's the first point. Weakness can only come through strength in the kingdom. Weakness qualifies us for usefulness in the kingdom of God. And this is 1 Corinthians. I've got millions of uh, scriptures today, as Lois, Lois told me. <laughs> this is 1 Corinthians 1. Here is the, wait, sorry, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? 
has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not know him. For God was, sorry, aye, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And then he goes on in, in verse 6. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of, the, of, this, of this world to shame the wise. Do you qualify? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Do you qualify? I don't ask you to put your hand up. He chose the lowly things of this world. Do you qualify? And And the despised things and the things that are nothing to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. We all qualify because we're weak, we're foolish, and what's the other one? Oh, we're nothing. We qualify. And it's interesting that the word that's using, used, God doesn't say, doesn't say God chose what was left over he chose anybody that was willing to do it. It says he's chosen the weak. He's chosen the foolish. He's chosen the unwise, if you like. Okay. The incarnation was Jesus submitting himself to human weakness, our weakness. As a result, his father is our father. His weakness means power for us. Therefore, we need to continue to recognize and acknowledge our weakness if we're going to reflect God's strength and believe what he says, not what the world says, not what we say about ourselves, but what he says. Um, This is 2 Corinthians. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we don't have to do this. We just have to receive it. Thanks. I've noticed one thing in my own experience in my own life. I hide weaknesses when I'm not walking with God. I hide I don't want folk to see my weaknesses. But when I'm right with God, I'm, I, can, I can own my, my weaknesses. Even, sometimes I hide it even from myself, but uh, you can't hide anything from your wife. <laughs> so she always sees it, keeps me right. Real power, kingdom power, 
perfect power, and I'll come back to that expression. It's, not, it's a biblical expression. Perfect power is born in weakness. So this is my third point. How am I doing for time? Well, I'm over. That's your fault. <laughs> this, the, this next uh, section, it, it's heading, God talks to Paul about perfect power. Perfect power can only come from God through weakness. God declared to Paul, declared this to Paul in no uncertain terms. God spoke directly to him it's not something that he learned or somebody else told him or even that he read in the Bible. God spoke this directly to Paul. And I think that makes it more listenable. Second Corinthians 7, uh, 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations that God was giving me, he also gave me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with God, the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul saw what he called his thorn in the flesh as a hindrance. Now, we're not talking about sickness here. We don't really know what it is. But God saw it differently because his Grace is not just about being pardoned, absolved, or let off with the wrong things you've done. Grace is a more powerful uh, thing than that. God saw it differently. I'm sorry. The point of grace is not just to cope with circumstances, but to change them and to change our attitude to them. The point of boasting in weaknesses that Paul makes is not to wallow in them, but to find God's strength through them. So weakness is about being set free and gaining strength. That's the goal. And Paul understood what God was saying to him. And he, he goes on to say, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now that's another interesting Greek word which I discovered recently. Uh, the word for rest on me is episkeno. The word skeno is, means tent or tabernacle. Epi means, it just means something big, I think. Epi. Is that? Oh, you're, you're Greek and in Hebrew, aren't you? <laughs> so it literally means build a tent on. God builds a tent on your weakness. By his grace, God builds a tent on your weakness because he doesn't want to just um, remind you that you've got a weakness. He wants to build a tent on it and get rid of it and change it and to change you through it. I think that's an amazing thought. Build a tabernacle on weakness. 
And then the next verse, the next scripture reference is from Paul again, and it shows, it reveals his understanding, his, his explanation of the change of life that his weakness took him to. This is First Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ poured out on me abundantly, <clears throat> along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying. This is my favorite verse in the whole New Testament. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus, who came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in me and receive eternal life. Notice, I've highlighted what the grace of God did in Paul's life. It's not about humiliating him or him getting into sackcloth and ashes so that everybody can see he's, he's changed. But it's about encouraging, strengthening, preparing, anointing him for his ministry. And that's what, that's what the word repentance means. It doesn't mean that we're sick of sin. It means that we're, we're, we're repenting. We, God has shown us something about ourselves that he wants to change. And we repent by taking it to him and taking upon ourselves the changes that he wants to make. How long have I got? Nothing. Okay. I might cut up. There's a quite a few scriptures on here. So this is, we're now looking at Jesus. We were looking at Paul, but Jesus became like us in every way. That's the heading of this section. Jesus became like us in every way, except sin, but including weakness. That's a great, a great thing. He became like us in every way, except sin, but including weakness. He didn't come like Superman, Lois. <laughs> he didn't come like Superman carrying the power of his home planet. His home planet. The thing about Superman is that he was different. The thing about Jesus is that he's the same. He's like us in every respect, except sin, but including weakness. And we need, and I really want to emphasize this, if you, if you remember nothing else, we need a profound understanding of this truth, that Jesus came like us in every respect, so that we could become like him in every respect. Right, what am I going to miss out? Pardon? All right, oh, thank you. Thank you, Georgia. 
Well, I better read the one that I sent to you. Okay, this is Hebrews. Um, oh, dear. Oh, I want to read that. Um, people, where is it? Oh, yes, it's, this is Philippians again. Jesus, your attitude be this, should be the same as that of Jesus Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. People drink themselves to death, don't they? People take drugs to death. Sometimes people smoke themselves to death. Sometimes even people work themselves to death. You know what Jesus did? He humbled himself to death. That's, oh man, that's really moving. Jesus humbled himself to death for you and me. Right, I'm just going to read one more scripture. This is Hebrews 2. You can read Hebrews 5 at home. Hebrews 2. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, you'll need to read that again because I don't think you were listening. No, I just want to get this. It was fitting, it was appropriate that God should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. What does that tell you? It tells you God thought you were worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. That's what God is saying. You're worth it. It was fitting that Jesus died for you because he thought you were worth it. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. In other words, the Lord thinks you're worth it. And God said, lot, says lots of things about you in the scripture. You need to read the scripture in that way. It's talking about you. And whether or not you agree is an important question. Do you agree or do you contradict what God says about you? Do you I mean, when, when we're reading the scriptures, you know, that must be for the really good saints, the folk that are doing theology and that kind of stuff but not for me. I am not good enough for this. And that, at the, bottom, the bottom line in that is that you're contradicting what God says. And I'm going to stop there. And I'm going to ask you to stand while I pray very quickly.
Father, we've read so many things today about what you've done through your Son for us. And Lord, we want to learn to appropriate it. Lord, to first of all discover these things, to own these things, and to appropriate, appropriate them, Lord, in our real everyday lives. And Father, we ask today that you forgive us for those times when we reject and contradict what the Word of God says. And instead of saying, Amen, we say, we're not good enough. And God wants to cure you of that not good enough attitude. He thinks you're worth it. And so we bless you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.